Hey everyone, welcome, welcome, and welcome some more to the 20th podcast here at Gary Talks 2. What a milestone for me, 20 under the belt, and I have to take a second to thank you, my listeners, for making that possible. Numbers are coming up slowly, folks, but that's probably because of my very inadequate way of getting the word out. So I'll ask for your help. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell people you don't like, tell your boss. Anybody, please. Anyway, in today's episode, we will take a look at newspapers. You know, those big old things that get your hands all dirty and inky. Uh, They have ads, comics, editorials, stuff like that. If you think that today's news media is full of crap most of the time, just wait. We are going to go back to those halcyon days before, during, and after the Civil War when papers were pretty much the only media. And we'll talk about the lies and the filth that they spewed. Believe me, we have not come all that far in the last 150 years. So we'll go back to the times of James Woodman, the hero of my historical fiction series, Journey, the Story of an American Family. That uh, is available right now on Amazon and BN.com, both volumes. And we'll once again learn together that there is absolutely nothing new under the American sun. So uh, hop aboard, buckle in, and prepare to learn some stuff. So, uh, let's go back to the antebellum years, which are roughly defined as the years between the end of the War of 1812 and the onset of the Civil War. Those years saw a new technology that fascinated everyone. It was the type of printing press that could be easily set up in a very few hours to report any news of the day right away. The growth of papers, or sheets as many were called, exploded. They would uh, be read aloud at home after supper or in taverns or wherever folks gathered to spread the news or to hear the news. What started out as the uh, first type of mass communication started off by bringing news of mostly government affairs, local, state, and federal, whatever local tidbits there were. But they began to morph into more as the audience and the competition for that audience grew by leaps and bounds. That competition inevitably led to sensationalism and downright lies. After all, there were no fact checkers and no penalty for lying, so uh, hey, let's do it. Today we have a lot of fact checkers, and there actually used to be penalties for lying uh, in my lifetime. But in these days of the orange Jesus, Dirty Donnie, what's-his-name, it's been made clear that there is still a tremendous appetite for such bullshit, and frighteningly, that appetite is growing every day. You do not have to be an A student of American history to know how divided the country was before the Civil War. And you don't have to be very clever to see that that level of division today is approaching that same intensity. That division, that very real division, was fed by the media back then, just as it is today. 
We have Fox, AON, Breitbart, and the other lying mega Nazis do it for profit. And here's the rub. I really believe if these lowlifes could make more money being on the right side of history, they would do that. I mean, even Glenn Beck said he would. Denies it, uh, but he said it. They are not a bunch of deep thinkers after all. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Again, you don't have to be a genius to figure that out. The thrill of seeing your name in print back then or getting an entire network to spout your filth now wasn't as irresistible to many, many people. Warhol warned us a long time ago about the 15 minutes of fame. Fame to these uh, folks is a lot like cocaine. If you do a little coke in the afternoon, you will spend the rest of the day and a good amount of money trying to get that initial three-second rush back again. However, you never can. can't be done. That won't stop you from trying and trying, but it just won't be the same. It's not just the extremist outlets that are part of the problem. In my very humble opinion, that uh, lady who anchors the news for CBS during the week is a dyed-in-the-wool Trumpy. She made it very obvious a few years ago, but uh, she hides it now. I don't know if she heard from management or what. Also, the anchor on the NBC Nightly News, again, in my very humble opinion, is extremely reluctant to report any bad news about the aforementioned Orange Jesus. So, the infection or addiction, take your pick, spreads far and wide, very far and wide. But the one common factor is cowardice. People care more about their jobs than their country. People care more about the price of gas today than they do about the Constitution. And uh, ironically, many use that nearly sacred document as the basis for their anti-American behavior and trying to overthrow the government. Oh, I just heard somebody yell out from the back of the studio here at the world headquarters of the Gary Broadcasting Empire. They yelled, uh, but Gary, can you give us some samples from way back then? I not only can and will, but the parallels between the past and the present should open your eyes. Honest. Be right back. Okay, I am back, and I have a fresh glass of some nice Spanish white wine. And please join me if you wish. Hope you do. So I promised you some time travel, so let's go. In the 1850s, newspapers became more and more political as the divisions deepened in this country. Pictures of Lincoln as the devil incarnate or as an enraged baboon proliferated in the southern press. Southern papers attacked Northerners in general, and uh, the the, uh, hated New Englanders in particular, as uncivilized barbarians without culture or tradition. 
<laughs> this is the funny part. They even had the nerve in one article to criticize their speech patterns. Yeah. Southerners criticizing people for speech patterns. That's pretty funny. They accused Yankees of torturing the English language, quote, in a most inhuman fashion, distorting it into an unknown tongue, leaving scarcely any trace of its parentage. That's a direct quote. Furthermore, the Union government, or the American government, is viewed with utter contempt, much like it is uh, today. Tommy uh, Tube Socks down there in Alabama is a perfect example of that. In the past, they allege, here we go again, quote, great Southern presidents had made for the United States all of its history, which is not absolutely contemptible. <laughs> Love that. They claimed, again quoting, the government there is a military despotism as absolute as that of Russia. <laughs> There's that old Russian bugaboo. They always get those guys. They went after the New Englander, Englanders excuse me, with such a venom because the abolition movement that they despised and detested began there and spread throughout the North. A common complaint was that Southern creativity had been stifled before the war because the North had, quote again, supplied us with every article of daily use, from farm implements to books, placing the South in a state of colonial vassalage. Sure had a funny way of talking back then. It couldn't possibly be that they just looked down their noses at manufacturing. No, that wasn't. That was too, uh, too dirty and yicky for Southern gentlemen. No, that couldn't possibly be the reason. Well, the dummies didn't make cannons either, <laughs> which was just too, too bad for them in the long run. We could get into the uh, different railroad gauges in every single Southern state that hamper troop movements and such, but uh, that's for another day. There was a paper called The Southern Illustrated News spread these and many more outright lies once the war started. They reported that the rebels, or traitors in my mind, never ever lost a battle. The North always lied about battles. They remind you of anybody? They reported mass atrocities by American troops that did not ever happen and made those events seem commonplace for the, quote, barbarians that came from the North. And that paper was far from alone in this enterprise. In the North, meanwhile, the war saw a very big change in the way news was reported. For the first time, writers were hired and actually paid by individual papers or syndicates and fed all of their reporting to that source. There was about 40 or so of them on the battlefield at any one time. That's a lot of people. They refer to themselves as, quote, the Bohemian Brigade. <laughs> I love that. And they did the very hard and dangerous job of reporting from the battlefield instead of just lying like the Southern press did and never got near the battlefield. All the Southern press joined in, all of them. I encourage each of you, please, it only takes a minute, get out your Google machine and do a little digging into this past of lies and deceptions. It mirrors today's media in a very troubling way. All I did was type into the Google machine, um, 
newspapers before the Civil War. Boy. But anyway, when I come back, we'll take a look at the years after the Civil War and the part that these papers actively played in institutionalizing racism and segregation. It is not a pretty picture. So have a sip of your wine or whatever your favorite beverage is. I'll be right back. Okay, I am back. I'm curious, what's your beverage of choice when you are listening to this podcast or any podcast? Drop me a note at the podcast at gvbrights.com and let's compare notes. And as promised, it's about to get really ugly, so take a good strong pull on that beverage and let's go. We'll start in that hotbed of racial divide, Memphis, Tennessee. Personally, I like Memphis. One of my two favorite daughters lived there, used to have a girlfriend there. I used to fly there a lot back in the late 70s when FedEx had only a half dozen Falcons. They hired a bunch of us uh, outlaw junk freighter pilots and DC-3s and Beach-18s and such to haul their boxes while they built their business. And they also treated us like crap, which is why I never took a job there when it was offered. Anyway, I digress. I do that sometimes. Anyway, in 1892, the Commercial Appeal, the newspaper in Memphis, was called The Commercial. It ran a series of hate-spewing articles along with its uh, afternoon competitor, the Press Scimitar, attacking the pioneer journalist Ida B. Wells for her, get this, anti-lynching editorials in the free speech and the headlight, which, as I'm sure many of you know, she co-edited. The Commercial Appeal wrote, And I quote, these are not my words, so don't get mad at me. Those Negroes who are attempting to make the lynching of individuals of their race a means for arousing the worst passions of their kind are playing with a dangerous sentiment. The fact that a black scoundrel is allowed to live and utter such loathsome calumnies is evidence as to the wonderful patience of Southern whites. End quote. Man. It's a mouthful. Wonderful patience, my ass. I spoke in an earlier podcast about the history of lynching in that time period, so don't talk to me about patience. On May 14, 1905, which is, what, 40 years after the war, the Commercial Appeal dedicated its entire art section to that hideous equestrian statue, which for another 112 years after that would sit atop the remains of Confederate general and slave trader Nathan Bedford Forrest and his wife Mary Ann, both of whom had previously been buried in Elmwood Cemetery, but they wanted to make a big deal about him, and they built this hideous monument. Anyway, it was there for a long time. At the time, he was eulogized as a horseman of mythic proportions and a true son of the South. Of course, there was uh, no mention of Fort Pillow, where he and his men slaughtered over 300 Union troops after they had surrendered. And coincidentally, most of them were black. 
No mention at all of the part he played in the founding of the Ku Klux Klan. Another paper, the Daily Advertiser of Lafayette, Louisiana, was founded by a 21-year-old returning Civil War soldier who served for four years in the Traitor's Army. And in 1873, the paper published columns from a gent named Louis Agassiz, a Swiss-American scientist who was noted back then for his work on natural history and education, characterizing black people as a different species from white people. Again, these aren't my words. I'm quoting somebody else. Quote, the Negro and the white man were created as specifically different as the owl and the eagle, the Agassiz column reads. Quote, they were designed to fill different places in the system of nature. The Negro is no more a Negro by accident and misfortune than the owl is the kind of bird he is by accident or misfortune. A separate species, man. Oof. Filth. I could, of course, go on and on and sickeningly on. There's certainly no lack of uh, any kind of material and examples. I mean, do some research, please. And you will uh, gain a more in-depth understanding of the roots of the hatred that still exists today. When my favorite drag queen, Rhonda Santos, all that red hair, campaigns against the teaching, the accurate teaching of black history. When white folks the country over panic over the concept of CRT, when cops shoot unarmed young black men, all of these atrocities have their roots here. The papers of the day fed the fear and hate of white citizens towards their American brothers and sisters. And many, many continue to do so today. Okay, it's that time once again, don't you know? That time when the ground quakes and the weak begin to shake. That's right, folks. It's time for the political rant. Okay. Well, as usual, lately, and is my want, the rant today is about those mega Nazis and their culture Prager you for kids and the very immediate threat they are to the nation's children. Maybe your children, if you live in Florida or Oklahoma or another state that allows this, quote, indoctrination, end quote, in the local schools. Indoctrination, I hasten to add, is their word. You can see them saying that in their videos of interviews. They characterize what they do as indoctrination. And I certainly agree wholeheartedly. Got to admit, though, I never thought I would ever see eye to eye with a MAGA Nazi extremist. Oh, well. Miracles never cease. As you know, I have undertaken the very ugly and painful duty of watching a lot of their indoctrination videos. 
One in particular recently jumped right out of my inbox and grabbed my attention. It has the unifying and loving title, quote, How to Keep Your Child from Becoming a Leftist. I'm not making that up, folks. How to Keep Your Child from Becoming a Leftist. This is from those same fine folks who tell kids that, you know, slavery wasn't so bad that you must, quote, honor your parents, even if they are abusive. How anyone who dares to talk about clients climate science is, quote, a liar, even if it's your parents that tell you that. And other videos with eye-catching titles like D-Trans and Protect Our Kids from Transgender Ideology. Hmm. In my humble opinion, these people are actually the scarier side of the MAGA Nazi movement that seems to be growing in the land of the free. Earlier in this podcast, I urge you to do some personal research into the role media has played in spreading hatred and the fear of the other. Now I am urging you to go to the PragerU for Kids website and see for yourself the danger they pose to our kids. Don't worry, you don't have to subscribe. You can just check them out. And as the old cliche goes, the kids are our future, folks. So, hmm. Oh, yeah, this uh, this one just popped in. Their latest little film of lies is called, quote, What's Wrong with Marijuana? End quote. And proceeds to do a retake uh, update of Reefer Madness. If any of you have seen that, it's quite funny. That old movie that had uh, pot smokers raping their own mothers and jumping out of windows. They really are, in my opinion, a sad, sick bunch of rich white people who are trying to hold back the tide with a broom and a teaspoon, in my humble opinion. Well, that's uh, that's it for today, folks. Going a little long here, sorry. Once again, I invite you to drop me a note at the podcast at gvbrights.com. I will read your email unedited as long as you are not a Maganazi Orange Jesus, Jesus worshiper. Sorry, it's hard to say. Orange Jesus worshiper. Try it. I promise. And please check out my website at www.gvbrights.com where you'll find some Christmas ideas for the readers on your list. A bunch of very cool airplane photos for some reason and much, much more. Also, you'll see that I am urging, no, I'm begging people to donate to It Takes a Village, the organization where I monitor, mentor to high school students in Malawi at the Katsukaloa Library. The mentoring service there has been curtailed for a lack of funding. This is the most modern library in the entire country. It's a very poor country. We only need a measly $12,000 to get it up again and run for a year. And I'm telling you, if you could see those beautiful children smiling when we read and we laugh together, I'm sure, being the good-hearted folks you obviously are, 
that you would want to donate. So there's a button on my site, it's easy to find, that will earmark funds for this library in particular, marked GoFundMe. The other, it takes a valley, uh, a valley, it takes a village button, goes to a general fund that helps all of their libraries all over the world. But I'm trying to raise money for this library. So please, please take a moment, visit the site, you can see pictures of the kids that need our help so very much. The window, their only window, to the outside world is closed. You can open it up again. I promise, I promise, you'll be very glad that you did. So, as I ride off into the sunset once again, I'll send you a cheery adios, amigos.